So welcome to today's episode of Ask Girl. And today we're going to be discussing whether to go towards pain or not. Now, Revitalized Clinic was founded by myself in 2013. We're providers of services for mental health, pain, and fitness. So if you are ever feeling that you want to be in a slightly better position than you are at the moment, in less pain, better mental health, and better physical health and physical fitness, then feel free to book an online or face-to-face consultation, of course, as soon as the uh, lockdown has shifted. So to explain to you what pain is, I have a metaphor, a story about pain. Andrew, Ben and Carl, three young men who by the age of 18 had tested all boundaries. They were strong, accomplished and gifted young men. One day they ventured as far as they could, hundreds of miles away. And before they knew it, they were surrounded by a darkness and met by a fire-breathing dragon called pain. Andrew, the first man, turned to fight, but the dragon defeated him. He was too strong to fight pain The dragon was too strong for Andrew to fight it head on. Ben ran ran back home as far as he could and hid. This is the second man. But the dragon surrounded his home and didn't let him leave. Ben spent the rest of his days living an unfulfilled, sheltered life, surrounded by the dragon, pain. Carl, however, the third man, retreated into the light, just so he was out of reach of pain. He retreated to high ground and fought pain off when he had the advantage. Eventually, pain tired and withdrew. Carl pressed on and continually pushed pain back, the whole time staying out of pain's reach until eventually he pushed pain back so far that he conquered the land that pain had previously dominated. And this is essentially how pain works. If we fight it head on, we can be burnt far worse than we were before. If we retreat too far, that we become deconditioned and we're no longer ready to face the threat which previously caused the pain. But if we back off a little bit and then press on, back off when we need to and press on. Eventually we can tire, but we can wear pain down and we can conquer it. So this is essentially how pain works. However, a lot of the time you hurt your back, so you rest it. You used to play sport, but your knees started to hurt, so you stopped. You used to feel good standing up for yourself, but after significant trauma, you now avoid conflict. You fell in love and it felt amazing, but the heartbreak isn't worth it. Fine, but for how long do you avoid what caused you pain in the first place? Runners, for example, who rest too long after sustaining an injury are in more pain when they return. If they are able to run five miles when they were first in pain, they return and can only run a mile uh, before the pain comes on. This is a very, very common finding for endurance athletes. They're in more pain when they return. People who exercise expose themselves to trauma on a regular basis, and they have a far better tolerance to pain than those who don't. So what we'll be learning about is that those who consciously on a day-to-day basis confront pain or confront their physical and mental limitations are far less likely to experience physical pain and one might argue mental pain as well. So then you might be asking what is actually wrong with me and I understand this question what is actually wrong with me. You want to know your enemy but do you think that your enemy can be seen? If you were to take an MRI of your eye for example when you were looking at a sunflower You could MRI your eye and you wouldn't be able to see the sunflower. So what makes you think that if you have an MRI or a scan that you'll be able to see pain? Even the psychobiological model for psychiatry has been argued as being completely obsolete by Suman Fernando. I'll put the link 
below when I publish this into, into the book that you can read, which he, which he says this. And this is because we are far greater than our anatomy and we're far greater than the individual chemical compounds of what creates our brain and our bodily tissues. So why do we sit, insist on a, di on a diagnosis and powerful interventions, for example, surgery, MRIs, injections, etc.? Why do we insist on scan surgery and blood tests, diagnosis and prognosis, despite no evidence suggesting that it's worthwhile and that it may in fact be harmful? Fill in our creative minds. Human beings are very, very creative. And when we fill our minds with a threatening image or a threatening description, for example, you're, you've got arthritis so bad that it's bone on bone, or you've had an MRI and your, your discs are damn near as herniated as they, as they could be, it's never good because pain is like webbing it webs itself into our it webs itself into our brain and the issue is that it connects itself to also our emotional centers of our brain and our belief systems of our brain so therefore if we feel and fear and believe that we're damaged and then we have that belief compounded by graphical imaging then it can actually make our pain worse but the reason why we want these explanations is because we're curious by nature we're often passive by nature we have been fed a false pacifying ideology of pain and suffering. Humans are curious, we're curious, we want answers, but we are also often very, very passive. Every invention that we pride has made things a lot easier. For example, a dog would invent a computer with a treadmill attached. We instead invent the remote control, comfier chairs. The less effort, the better, right? It's the same with relief from pain, mental or physical. If you can pop a pill or have a drink, have an operation, have an injection, you're all good. You don't even have to question the logic behind cutting into a painful area to reduce the pain. Just God forbid you have to actually put the effort in yourself to reduce the pain. We as individuals want to go towards someone that we perceive as being an expert to take our pain away. And we actually avoid what would be long-term far more productive, which would be actually putting in the effort to understand why we are in pain and to eradicate the pain ourselves. The truth is that pain is complicated, but the mind and the body in all their complexity have one key advantage, they adapt. Endurance and strength athletes have a far greater tolerance to pain than inactive individuals. Exercise-based rehab has shown to be superior to purely manual therapy for patients. This would be the equivalent of someone, for example, going to a chiropractor for 20 sessions and not given any exercises or someone being you know, someone seeing a counselor for example for 20 sessions and it might be nice for them because they get temporary relief to click in their back when you see an osteopath gives you temporary relief you crying on someone's or crying to someone and expressing your ill feelings to someone face to face is great in the short term but the issue is that it doesn't actually build up tolerance in the long term and what we actually want is not just a relief for our pain, mental and physical, but we want long-term tolerance to what was causing us pain before. Now, this is embodied in, for example, exercise rehabilitation for pain, i.e. getting your joints stronger or more tolerant to what's causing you pain before, but also exposure therapy. Exposure therapy has been a key pillar of cognitive behavioral therapy, i.e. exposing an individual to manageable levels of a threat so they can adapt. And this has been going on for a long period of time now. Once they adapt, they can be moved on to the next stage of rehab or therapy.
So for example, if you have a phobia of being around, if you've got say, for example, social anxiety, if being around a lot of people at one point in time instills fear in you, then what your therapist might suggest is for you not to hide away from society completely, but it would be to be around one individual, then two, then three, then four. And it's the same thing when it comes to rehabilitation, for example, for an injury. The worst thing you could do is rest completely. What you want to do is replicate the form of trauma that caused you pain in a pain-free way and gradually build it up. So for example, I see that Darren's joined. Darren is a, an avid runner. The worst thing that we could do if he was injured is stop him from running completely. So what we want to do is cut that running back, just like uh, Carl did in the metaphor that we used, to a level which is quite comfortable and then use that as our foundation to build up from there. And it's the same thing for mental health as well. If you're finding that certain instances give you a lot of mental pain, you don't want to retreat into your bed full stop. It might be good to do that short term, but not long term. What you actually want to do is to deal with what you're tolerant of and then gradually build up your tolerance. So this brings on to the next session of the talk called The Guide. So the issue to me is that there seems to be a cry out for someone to take the pain away. And I completely understand this. It's like when you're a child and you hurt your knee, your mum or your teacher might wet a towel and dab the sore spot and the pain goes, right? There are many examples of insignificant interventions causing pain to stop. An example of this might be massage, for example. Massage doesn't actually change the macrostructure or the, the, the great structure of the area that's injured, but what it does do is temporarily desensitize it for the patient. Even uh, knee arthroscopies, there's a lot of people who have knee arthroscopies, which is where the surgeon will drill into the knee and they will then tidy up and uh, then they'll come out again and bandage it up and send them on their way. Now, there's a lot of research to show that if you take 100 individuals and you perform this operation and you compare that then to 100 individuals who haven't had that operation, but they still had just you know, the drilling, the individuals will have a, a similar response to the operation, even though the second group didn't actually have anything done. And the reason why is that if you think of, once again, pain as uh, almost like a fear mechanism, a deep-seated fear mechanism, once the individual feels that this, what was causing them fear, i.e. a damaged knee, has been taken care of, that individual uh, will then actually start to desensitize their own pain as a reflex to that. So even in these situations, the patient is actually doing a lot more work than the surgeon, or a lot more effective work than the surgeon. So... The issue is that when we are relying on someone other than ourselves, for example, 20 visits to the chiropractor, another bottle of wine, another month of painkillers, you're actually reducing your own autonomy in dealing and managing your own issues, which long-term doesn't have a good effect at all. The fact is that you don't need a hero. You're the hero. You actually need a guide. You need someone who empowers you, someone who can make you the hero of your story become someone who can rise up in triumph against the ill fortune of physical and mental pain. We need to stop looking to someone to take responsibility for our own deconditioning to trauma. We need to find someone who will help us eventually look at what caused you to wince, to hide or to grimace and to be comfortable with it. If you need to find your guide, then contact me or another team member at the Revitalized Clinic where we've helped 6,000 individuals reduce their pain their mental anguish and their physiological uh, physiological issues for example eczema psoriasis etc and we're helping them to 
create the lives that they love. So if you need any help in that instant, instance, then let me know and I will happily uh, take care of whatever complaints you have and I'll put you in the hands of the right practitioner who will act as a guide, not as a complete solution. You will meet your solution, but it will be under guidance rather than the false hope that someone's going to take your, uh, your trauma away from you.